Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at noon on the dot, hopefully, uh, to protect and to defend and to promote public education. That's education that's public above all in access to all children. It should also be public in purpose and outcome should be publicly owned and controlled and it should be the only one the dogs believe is publicly funded. We have been for the last 50 years against state aid. We believe that the only way you can have a proper public system is to have it the one that is publicly funded and there should be no public funding going to an alternative fee-paying system which in fact is on about separating, segregating children and underpinning a social framework which is aristocratic or non-democratic. That's what we've got in Australia at the moment. It's not working. The system is broken and the only way forward, as far as the dogs are concerned, is to withdraw the public money from the so-called independent schools and to make them genuinely independent. We also believe in the separation of religion from the state. We have a website at www.adogs.info and here is our press release 704 after an extremely interesting week. This is it. So where is state aid really at half a century later in 2017? In hard money terms... Well, the Australian gives it to you, surprisingly enough. Um, there's going to be $17.5 billion, uh, this year to $30.6 billion in 2027. Uh, it's a lot of money going out of the public coffers into education. Menzies, going right back, ameliorated that Catholic DLP vote that gave him one extra parliamentary seat back in 1961. Yes, some of us are old enough to, believe, to, to remember it. In fact, some of us are older enough, old enough to remember how good it was before state aid was given. Now, in 1964, with Sputnik as an excuse, he gave private schools science blocks and libraries because the Russians sent a man up into space first. In 1969, he gave them per capita grants. And then Whitlam, wanting to get the DLP back into the Labor Party fold, came up with this needs policy, which was never a needs policy, in 1973. And the floodgates have been opened ever since. Australia is still chasing those needs, which quickly transmuted into greeds, and everything that the dogs predicted has come true. We are now a socially segregated country with glaring educational inequalities and an ever-increasing educational funding problem. Then, a week ago, Federal Minister Birmingham confronted with a rise in public school disquiet in the electorate, the middle classes had suddenly worked out that they didn't have the choice of a good public school in their uh, community and then confronted with ongoing public school research on social media, indicated that the time had come to drive a wedge into the inequitable funding system. 
Finally, 44 years after Carmel, he indicated that some money would and could be actually taken from overfunded private schools. Because people have been saying, what is going on here? We actually have private schools in our cities and in our country areas which are are so resource-rich that they have better resources than even some of the, the most prestigious universities. Where is all this money coming from? Oh, it's coming from the central treasury. Why? Why should we be giving money to these people when we can't even get uh, classrooms for our children to be educated in? Now, the non, non-Catholic sector copped Mr Birmingham's uh, plans sweet. They copped it. And I want to talk about that a bit later because it's very interesting. But at the thought of losing control of their own expenditure of public money, and it's in the billions and billions and billions of dollars now, the Catholic system predictably reacted because they have always wanted the money but on their terms. The only argument this time round they could find was the threat of raising fees and, oh, pity, pity, pity our poor Catholic teachers. What one media outlet called the old serpent breathed fire, but this very quickly descended into a puff in the Liberal Party room itself. Because only the DLPers, Abbott and Andrews, in the party room, in the Liberal Party room, Abbott was saying this will split the Liberal Party. They were the only ones in the inside that opposed the Birmingham plan. On social media, the public school supporters started to fall back on the no-state aid position when the Catholics got uh, a bit of fire, in, particularly in Canberra, and they pointed to the top tip educational countries like Finland where charging school fees are illegal because the facts are in and they're there available for everyone to see. Thanks, by the way, to Julia Gillard and the My School website. Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools had this to say. Thousands of private schools are overfunded because their government funding enables them to have more total income than public schools. The overfunding amounts to four to six billion dollars a year. And just think what this money could do for our public system. This isn't this isn't the total money that they get, of course. They get a lot more. They are overfunded. They get as much as public schools and then they're overfunded four to six billion a year. This is indefensible, especially when thousands of disadvantaged public schools are starved of resources. And it's a complete waste of taxpayer funds. It means that less funding is available for schools serving the education needs of low-income Indigenous students and students with disabilities. So redirecting this overfunding to less advantaged schools would be instrumental in reducing social segregation by ensuring that all schools are excellent schools. As one of the OECD reports on PISA 215 recommends, government should strive to have excellent schools in all neighbourhoods and make them accessible and welcoming for all students in the area. Nevertheless, the noise from the Catholic sector has had some effect and the Australian Financial Review on Thursday this week it has reported that the Education Minister Simon Birmingham has offered the Catholic schools a funding guarantee He's offered them something in the future in a bid to defuse the row and this has seen church leaders claim the government's Gonski funding plan will cause the school fee hikes. They're, they're, they're threatening to hike up their, their fees. Well, the dogs know and everybody knows that the private schools hike up their fees every year anyway because they want to keep uh, the disadvantaged children out of their schools uh, the, the really wealthy schools have been uh, hiking up their fees uh, every time. In fact, they get a bit more money. They threaten to do it, they get some more money, and they do it anyway. 
so um, in the legislation that he's going to introduce, on, and he did on Thursday the 11th of May, the government's going to guarantee that the indexation rate for schools' Gonski funding entitlement will not fall below 3% between 2020 and 2027. So um, they will still be overfunded, but perhaps not as greatly as they have been, or certainly their wealthy ones won't be. Uh, and the Education Commission is saying that it's, quote, encouraged because perhaps the penny might be dropping that the Catholic education system and the Catholic Church in Australia is a little bit on the nose. I note that in the report in The Australian of Wednesday, now The Australian's a Murdoch paper, uh, I don't think, and Mr Murdoch I think has been... Um, given some, some gong or other by the Pope, um, the Australian reports have been extremely interesting in all of this. And I noticed that on the front page, along with the report on the fending off of the attacks on school funding by the Catholic Church, there is also a report about decades of alleged abuse at Aboriginal miss missions and children's homes in Western Australia. Uh, by a former teacher and a Catholic priest who worked at this wandering mission east of Perth. So um, these, these reports are not helping, I would think. But I want to talk a little bit more later about what's on the front page of the Australian because I think it gives you a clue as to what's really going on, particularly in Sydney and perhaps in Melbourne. So... Uh, this is all very interesting, but what we have got further in our press release is a list of all of what has actually come onto the media websites, not just the mainstream media, and unfortunately Fairfax is going to the wall, so all we're going to have is the Murdoch Press in Australia. Uh, but on other media, uh, particularly um, inside and also um, the... Uh, Guardian newspaper, there has been some very, very interesting commentaries on all of this. And even Lindsay Connors has provided a background notes on Catholic school funding and uh, the history of it, particularly in the last 30 years. Now, I have to say that Lindsay Connors is a so-called public school supporter who had it both ways. She sat on the fence and she's, she's done very well in her career as a result. Um, she's got two bob each way with the public and the Catholic education system, even in her own family. But these background notes are interesting on particularly how in the 1990s the Catholics got really good sweetheart deals from the Howard government, and this has continued, in fact, under the Labor Party government. So Mr Shorten didn't do himself, and certainly Tanya Plibersek didn't do herself any um, favours when they came out in support of the Catholic education sector, you know, their alma maters, in the last week. I suspect that the Greens did much better. So that is our press release, uh, 704, if you want to go up and have a look at the work uh, that we have done and the opinions that we have about this. But now, before I hand over to Robert, I want to just give you some, some figures which are on the front page of The Australian of last Wednesday. And it's just a little box, and it's the elite independent school winners in Sydney and the elite Catholic school losers in Sydney. And what you've got here is perhaps a reason why Tim Hawkes came out in favour of Birmingham and why the Protestants are separating out from the Catholics. Now, this actually was the wedge and what happened in the 19th century such that state aid was stopped in the first place back in the 19th century, a long time ago. If you look at the King's School Parramatta, in 2017 they get about 4,500 per student from the Commonwealth Government. And in 2027, they're going to get 
8,000 per student. So it's going to go up. The Scots College Bellevue Hill got, in 2017, will get 2.6 thousand per student and in 2027 they will be getting 3.6 thousand. The Presbyterian Ladies College get in 2017 4.7 thousand roughly and theirs will go up in 2027 to 6.4 thousand. So these schools are not going to lose anything in this deal. But then you actually go to Loretto Curabilli and you find that they actually get at least a third more than uh, the King's School at Parramatta. They are at the moment on 6,000 per student and they'll be going down in 2007 to about 3.5 thousand per student. So they're going down. The elite Catholic schools are going down. And um, Monte St Angelo Mercy College will go down from 5.4 to 3.2 and St Aloysius will be going down from 5 to 3 in 2027. So what you've actually got here is the evidence that the Protestant schools in Sydney, the, the really elite ones, are not getting anything like what the elite Catholic schools are actually getting in 2017. Uh, King's School, 4.5. Loretto, 6. Scots College, 2.6. Monte St Angelo, 5.4. St Aloysius uh, gets 5 and Presbyterian Ladies College only gets 4,000 per student. Uh, so... They're, they're just, in fact, these figures indicate that the Protestants are going to do better because they're not doing so well as the Catholics at the moment. I'm talking about the elite, the, uh, the establishment people in Sydney, and the Catholic schools are going to go down. They're going to actually reverse their positions in the next 10 years. So I just find these figures, if you actually look into them, tell a story. And I'm sure I'm expected to get that message. The old establishment in Sydney has reacted when they realise that the Catholics, have, the elite Catholics have taken them to the cleaners. So they want to get back to the position that they had before state aid was given uh, back in the 1960s. And Mr Abbott and Mr Andrews, the members of the new establishment, in the cabinet, uh, they were, and they still are not, really acceptable. So it's all very interesting, isn't it? Meanwhile, while the elites um, and their children uh, play these games, the majority of the children in Australia, most of whom still go to public schools, have had to go begging for a long, long time and they're getting sick of it and they were certainly sick of it when the Catholics, who are never satisfied, wanted more and more and more and they want it with no strings attached. Birmingham is trying to drive some kind of a wedge uh, between the establishments and we will see whether or not he succeeds in getting some kind of control and some kind of accountability for billions and billions and billions of dollars of public money which goes into these private schools. Because if he doesn't, then the lid's off the garbage tin and the stink is going to get worse and our children are going to have less opportunities and the educational standard of Australia will continue to go down uh, throughout the world. So that's enough for me. Um...
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Thanks very much, Jean. Um, talking about local issues going on, obviously, here in Australia in education and the very interesting times we live in when it comes to federal politics and education. Of course, we've just been listening to um, some more Greg. Uh, we had lots of listener requests for it again. Um, but this time we listened to suite number two from the Pig and Suite, Opus 55 by Edvard Grieg. And we'll have a little bit more, so don't worry. He'll be coming back. Um, but I'm going to travel now, because here at the Dogs Program we do lots of different things. I'm going to travel now to the United States of America. Now, often and often um, here at the Dogs Program we talk about being able to look into the future, to be able to predict what's going to happen in Australia. And it's really quite simple. What you do is you look at what's happening in America and then wait a couple of years. So I'm going to talk about what's going to happen in the future in Australia because we're looking into the future in, to America and we can see what's happening there now. Now, our very accurate crystal ball here at the Dogs, which, which has always proved to be the correct, is now a little more opaque because, of course, um, they have a new president, uh, Mr... Oh, anyway, I forget his name. Um, there's a new president in, in, in America who's a Republican but sort of not. But from our point of view, um, that obscures the lens of our, our, our future gazing. But there are some very worrying things that are happening over there, very extreme things, because they have an extremist president who's appointed an extremist um, secretary of education. Now, the person who is the secretary of education currently in America is called Betsy DeVos. And we have devoted some time to her and her policies and what she's doing and what she has done in the past. But because things are moving quite quickly over there, I think it's worth having a little recap, um, both on what she has done up until this point in the role, what she has done before that, but what she's doing right now. Now, Betsy DeVos, as the Education Secretary, comes with a very, very interesting record, not at all a traditional one. Uh, she's never been a teacher. She's never been an educational administrator. She'd never really have anything to do with education at a formal level. However, she has been a philanthropist. She's an immensely wealthy person. Um, she is married to um, the person who runs the Amway um, empire in America and around the world. And so over the years, they've given many, many hundreds of millions of dollars to educational charities because it's something that she feels quite passionate about. It's the question as to whether or not they're charities. They're actually businesses, aren't they? Well, it's a question. Um, they certainly have uh, the ability to receive the money from them. Um, that is Ms. DeVos, Ms. Betsy DeVos, I should, Mrs. Vets, Betsy DeVos, I should say. And, and her husband. But um, one of the things that she wants to do, and one of the things that Donald Trump wants to do, who's the president over there, is they want to ingratiate themselves with, with black communities. Now, there is a tradition in America um, of racism, um, more overt, um, or more sort of, shall we say, systematic than perhaps in here in Australia, although I wouldn't say it's any worse. I wouldn't say it's any worse at all. Because back in the days of a segregation in America, um, uh, black people couldn't go to university <laughs> in many, many states um, of the United States, especially the southern ones. The idea of a black person going to the university, it just wasn't an opportunity that was ever offered to someone who, who had skin um, of a certain colour in America. Um, is that offensive? Is that wrong? Yes. Is that in the past? Yes. But this led to a tradition in the southern states of America of setting up black-only universities just for the people who couldn't go to the normal universities. These were run by the communities themselves um, so that black people could continue to have an education at a time when segregation was the case. Now, for all sorts of reasons, and I won't go into it, America at the moment is resegregating, certainly in the southern states. Um, and the voucher systems of various sorts are facilitating this. So the idea of America not being, not being a racist country where there, where there isn't segregation anymore, those ideas are gone. Um, I know this from personal experience. I have many friends who have um, evacuated the southern states for Boston um, in the north because they can't live in the south anymore as black people um, and have anything like um, equal rights. And that's, that, that's in 2017. That, that's not a historical thing. Um, that's a contemporary thing. Anyway, Betsy DeVos, who's the Education Secretary for Donald Trump and the Republican government, went to do a commencement speech at a historically black university. Now, bear in mind these universities were set up because of apartheid, because of segregation. And um, the, the students at this university weren't very happy about it, and they set up a petition saying she can't come and speak. She shouldn't be allowed to come and speak because we don't like her and we don't like what she has to say. 
Um, and the university administration said, well, you have every right not to like what she has to say, but you, we have every, every right to invite her to speak. It's, it's a freedom of speech issue. So this played out, and there's an interesting article, which I think is quite balanced, uh, from the Washington Post, which described this particular day on, at this particular university. And I'd like to quote from it, because this is um, in Florida, in Daytona, Daytona Beach. This is one of the southern states of America, where the graduating students, they actually booed the Education Secretary of America, Betsy DeVos, as she spoke um, last Wednesday at what's called the Bethune-Cookman University. And it's their commencement speech. They were going to give uh, Betsy DeVos, by the way, an honorary doctorate at a Blacksonia university. So there's lots of boos, and many of the graduating students turned their backs in protest at her appearance at the historically black school. Now, the speech was part of the Trump administration's ongoing effort to reach into historically black colleges and universities. Many students and alumni had objected to having DeVos as a speaker in the first place, in part because they said that outreach is an empty gesture. But the university's president defended her work as a philanthropist and her commitment to education. And I'm going to come back to the university president because the comments of this person, I think, are very interesting. Now, the speech itself attracted national attention um, um, because of the heated debates over academic freedoms. At many schools across the United States, and perhaps here in Australia as well, protests have broken out when students objected to the views of controversial speakers, while others defended their right to voice unpopular views. Some saw the demonstration against the speech as righteous indignation, while others saw it as a lack of civility. But at the Bethune-Cookman University, alumni and others delivered petitions before the speech to the administrators with thousands of signatures, demanding that DeVos not be allowed to speak. Now, the state's NAACP, which is, I think, the National Association, um, it's a it's a black organisation, I think, about talking about black rights and such like and so forth. I can't tell you exactly, I'm sorry. But the state's chapter called on the university president to resign and a national teachers' union amplified the opposition to the speech as well. Okay, so this is, this is the background. On Wednesday, graduates came into the auditorium smiling, many with flowers and other decorations plastered on their mortarboards. It's a tradition. Um, not something you wouldn't ever see at Melbourne University, which takes itself enormously seriously. Um, but over there, um, graduation is a, is a much more flamboyant celebration. Anyway, they came in and listened to the ceremony politely until University President, and I'll come back to Edison Jackson, Edison Jackson is his name, introduced um, Omarosa uh, Manigault, who was an advisor to President Trump. Uh, then the students started booing. Jackson stopped and said, you don't know her, you don't know her story. Now the school leaders at the front of the room and some faculty applauded as he introduced DeVos to give her an honorary doctorate. But many students booed. And when she began speaking, thanking Jackson, the room erupted with shouts and DeVos had to raise her voice and she thanked the mums attending the ceremony. About half of the 380 graduates on the day turned their backs on uh, Betsy DeVos. Many later sat down, but shouts continued as she spoke loudly, saying that one of the hallmarks of higher education and democracy is the ability to converse with and learn from those whom they disagree. Jackson warned the students... Choose which way you want to go, he said sternly, as the disruption continued. I have from other reports, actually, that he threatened the graduating students that they might not be able to graduate unless they behaved themselves. Um, Or he implied that very strongly. And I think that's a fascinating thing for a a university president to do. It really is a sit down and shut up thing. And sit down and shut up is, in fact, an offence, I would say, against free speech, certainly for people who have graduated from university. So free speech apparently um, works one way but not the other. But let's come back to that. I think this is very interesting. Anyway, uh, for one reason or another, DeVos resumed speaking, pledging the administration's support to their success. She said, and I am quoting now from Betsy DeVos, I am at the table fighting on your behalf, she said in her speech. She talked of the importance of historically black schools and of the year-round Pell Grants for students from low-income families. She also talked about the need to listen to other viewpoints and noted the increasing polarisation so evident on cable news and social media. She said, let's choose to hear one another out, she said at one point, while still being booed. Now when she spoke, 
about how she would later visit the home and gravesite of the school's founder, a civil rights activist called Mary McLeod Bethune, some of the crowd were heard to shout no. DeVos told graduates, Dr Bethune believes students, you, have an unlimited potential to affect positive change and with good reason. She'd done it herself. She said, as you leave, each of you will be called to embody courage in different ways and to rise to different challenges. The way you answer those calls will determine not just the future for you and your homes, but for your communities, the great nation and the world. Lovely words. She also went on to say, The natural instinct is to join the chorus of conflict, to make your voice louder, your point bigger and your position stronger. I'm going to stop there because I think she's right. I'll say that again. Your natural instinct is to join the chorus of conflict, to make your voice louder, to break your point bigger and your position stronger. Yes, that's exactly what they're doing and exactly what she doesn't like to hear. She says, but we will not solve significant real problems in our country if we cannot bring ourselves to embrace a mindset of grace. I would say acceptance of the inevitable. We must first listen, then speak with humility to genuinely hear the perspectives of those with whom we don't immediately and instinctively agree. Now, various um, uh, graduates from the university were approached by the Washington Post for their, for, for their responses. Some, of course, were very negative, and others were actually quite positive. Some said they were in shock, describing the reaction when she learned that she would dress the classmates. She said she didn't think DeVos, a philanthropist and strong proponent of school choice, private and charter schools, actually understands public schools at all, or indeed historically black colleges, whereas others were more supportive. Now, I'd like to get back to Jackson before we go on any further. Jackson, the president of the college. Uncle Sam. Um, I think you're right, Jean. Um, let's, let's hear the evidence for that. We call them... Co- they're called collaborators. Um, the dogs are very, very much aware of collaborators because in the state aid issue over the last 40 years there have been many, many people who have talked about collaboration and have got jobs in the education sector and let down the public system. So, you know, I'm sorry, I don't actually <laughs> favour these kind of people. Um. Well, I don't know if he is this kind of people. Let's find out from, yep. from, from okay. his own words. Yep. Um, he wrote in a letter to the campus community that willingness to engage with various viewpoints is a hallmark of higher education. He says, and I quote, I'm of the belief that it does not benefit our students to suppress voices that we disagree with or to limit students to only the, those perspectives that are broadly sanctioned by a specific community. He wrote, if our students are robbed of the opportunity to experience and interact with views that may be different from their own, then they will be tremendously less well-equipped for the demands of democratic citizenship. Now, that all stands quite well with me, and I think with most most reasonable-thinking people. But actually, what what he went on to say later on after the response, um, he did it on campus radio just before the speech, and it was in response to the petitions that were challenging the fact that Betsy DeVos was giving a speech and they didn't want her to be there. And he said, he spoke of the importance of working with people with influence, even if they seem to have opposing viewpoint and persuading them of the needs. He said he wanted DeVos to recognise there are children who are suffering and falling by the wayside. And he said he wanted to be at the table. He cited the expression, and I think this is where your condemnation, your, your, your preemptive condemnation, Jean, I think fits, when he says, and I quote, if you're not at the table, you're not on the menu. <laughs> that's, that's actually a bit of a Freudian slip. I think it is too. He's putting his, 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 the people for whom he's responsible on the menu, not himself. Indeed. Because he will be looking after his own career. Now, remember who he wants to sit at the table with. This is Betsy DeVos, and after, after a little break, we'll be coming back uh, with more on actually who this woman is. And I know the dog's listeners know a fair bit, but I think there's some more revealing stuff that's come out of an in-depth investigation by the magazine Mother Jones. But let's just go back before we to do that about Betsy DeVos and what she said in this speech. Now, she said some quite hom- you know, homilistic things about how, you know, when good people do good things, good things happen. But she said, in the latest effort by Trump administration to reach out to historically black, black colleges, over the past several months, this outreach has been marked, including by an Oval Office meeting with scores of college leaders. And it's been times awkward when DeVos herself described black colleges 
remember, which were set up in the era of segregation and apartheid as pioneers of school choice. Words that her opponents repeated often. She has also noticed that African-Americans have been systematically excluded from quality or indeed any education at the time. So she's saying because of racism, they were forced to set up their own small community groups to, to, to promote education amongst their communities. Then they are pioneers of a voucher system. They are pioneers of school choice. But this actually is they, what school choice gives you, segregation. Well, it does. Apartheid. And it makes no sense because if black people have no choice and are forced to come together to make a choice, that is not the same as a free and equal and equitable choice in the system. Anyway, a little bit more, Greg, before we go on to an in-depth analysis about who this woman who says these things really is.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. That was a little bit more with Pierre Gwint, um, leave, picking up where we left off in his suite number two, Opus 55. That performance, by the way, was by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and conductor was Hans-Jürgen Volta. Lovely fellow he is, and thanks very much for sharing it here on the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, and if you're interested, particularly in what Jean had to say earlier, which I think is, is the meat of the program here in Australia, but also what I'm talking about, goodness forbid, um, you can check us out at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Now, while you've been off here, we've had a quite spirited conversation about the nature of Betsy DeVos and where she comes from. But just to let you know, um, she comes from Holland, not in Europe, but Holland in Michigan. And you go, is there a Holland in Michigan? And the answer is, yes, there is. Um, and as the northerly winds of, um, off the lake bring merciless chill to Holland, Michigan, the small city covers, gets covered often in deep snow. The sparkling light hanging on the trees in downtown storefronts illuminates seasonal delicacies from Holland in Holland, <laughs> as well as photos and paintings of windmills and tulips and wooden shoes and signs that are in Welcome Vrienden, which means, of course, in Dutch, welcome friends. Now, more than 150 years ago, uh, Dutch immigrants came from conservative Protestant sect um, who chose Western Michigan as the setting for the idealised replica of Holland in Holland, in part because it was very isolated. They wanted to keep American influences away from Holland in Michigan, away from their uh, orthodox Dutch community. Now, until very recently, in restaurants in Holland couldn't sell alcohol on Sundays. Residents are still not allowed to yell or whistle between 11pm and 7am. If city officials decide that a fence or shed um, um, signals decay or decrepitude in any way, then the council can tear it down and mail the bill to the owner. Grass clippings are longer than 8 inches, have to be removed and composted, and snow must be shovelled soon after it lands on the street. Most locals say rules like these help keep Holland prosperous, with low unemployment, little crime, good city services and Republicans at almost every government post. It's also where Betsy DeVos grew up. Now, we're gonna, I'm now actually quoting from an article by um, How Betsy DeVos Wants America's Schools to Build God's Kingdom. Um, it's an article in Mother Jones um, in, their April, in their March-April edition. And for those people who are aware, Mother Jones is certainly a magazine worth subscribing to. Um, it's an independent journalistic enterprise, uh, which costs a little bit of money. Um, it takes no sponsorship and good journalists, investigative journalists, um, re- sort of report and respond from it. Now, I'll, I'll just, just have a slight diversion because um, Betsy DeVos has friends. <laughs> one of which is called Aaron Lanting, and he's eager to talk about his long-time friend, Betsy DeVos. He lives in Holland, Michigan. Um, when she entered the, the whole process and became, um, became famous as the education secretary, um, he, he knew her well before then. He, he knew her when he married uh, Dick DeVos, um, whose father Richard is worth more than $5 billion because he runs Amway. Um, and also, the um, DeVos family have had a very strong and heavy spending history for right-wing causes. At least $200 million worth of philanthropy since the 1970s. And this the things like think tanks, media outlets, political committees and advocacy groups. Now, we can go on in bad detail with this, and I suggest you check up with Mother Jones on, on the internet if you wish to do that. Um, but basically, they were for private causes, religious schools, conservative Christian groups like the foundation for traditional values, which has pushed to soften the separation of church and state in America, and organisations like Michigan's uh, McKillick Centre for Public Policy, which has championed the privatisation of education systems. But Betsy's friend Lanting um, is also a businessman, investor and local philanthropist, and he's quick to wave off the notion that DeVos has it in for traditional public schools. He says she's not against public schools. She does believe that teachers in charter and private schools are much better teachers than those in public schools. Um, and you get a better education in private schools than in public schools. She does believe those things. But she says, look, Dick and Betsy have also given to public schools as well as many to private ones. Now, that just gives you a sense of where she comes from in that particular context. 
Now, we can go back into the history, and I'm sure Jean would find this very interesting, and many of our listeners would too. Mm. But she comes from a breakaway sect from a breakaway sect. Um, the breakaway sect from a breakaway sect because sects tend to break away all over the place. The whole reason that they went from Holland to the United States in the first place, um, in, in the initial case, was because in Holland, about 150 years ago, they decided that um, all Catholics weren't uh, horribly breeding demons and as a, as a nation they, they would recognise them as citizens and other people as well. And when that happened, they went to the United States to form Holland, Michigan. While they were in Holland, Michigan, there was a breakaway too. And the breakaway was because of one thing and one thing only, which was education. Certain people believed that the state-based education system within, within this sect was a reasonable way of educating your children, whereas another group said, no, keep the state out of all education. Parents must educate their children, have nothing to do with the state whatsoever. And their theological position would have been Calvinist, I believe. Well, of course it was. Yes, it was. of course it was Calvinist. And um, it, it continues to be so. And Calvin was the Protestant answer to your Jesuits. In he fact, was pretty extreme Protestant. In Holland, Michigan, it was until 1991 that evolutionary theory was allowed to be taught in, in schools in, in, in that area. No, that, that the theory of evolution was allowed to be taught. I mean, not saying it's been taught as science, it just has to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, because creationism and the, the Calvinist perspective on literal readings of the Bible was so strong. Well, Calvin, of course, had a theocratic state in Geneva. Um, by theocracy, you, you mean uh, the rule of, of the people by the priests or by the, uh, the religious men. You also have this, of course, in, in Iran at the moment, but uh, the Calvinists are no better. Well, Iranians, Calvinists... No, no. I think it's about time here on the dogs we got to the meat of the problem, which is the blurring of the lines about ideas of school choice, which is a strange phrase really, um, charter schools and vouchers. Now Betsy DeVos has spent two decades pushing for taxpayer-funded vouchers for private schools at the centre of the Republican Party's education agenda, uh, thanks in large part to Michigan's uh, McKeek Centre for Public Policy. Remember that? The one she gave millions of dollars to? So she's using this, using this money to push her point. In the mid-90s, um, the leadership of this organisation, this, this lobby group, suggested a long-term strategy on how to make unpopular voucher policies more palatable to mainstream America. Its then-senior vice president, Joseph Overton, uh, by the way, who also developed what was known as the Overton window, which I've spoken mm-hmm. about here, mm-hmm. is a theory of how a policy that is initially considered extreme might over time be normalised through gradual shifts in public opinion. We believe in the Overton window here in Australia for different reasons, but I've spoken about that on another occasion. Now, education policies were placed on the liberal-conservative continuum, with the far left representing what they would describe as compulsory indoctrination in government schools and the far right representing no government schools. Charter schools then became a Trojan horse for voucher advocates. Once public school supporters got used to the idea of charters, activists would attempt to nudge political opinion closer to supporting tax credits to pay for private schools. In Michigan, Detroit, um, it has been the heart of the charter school push, which began when Government John um, Engler signed charter schools into law in 1993. Three years later, then the Detroit Metro Times reporter Kurt Guyette um, showed how the, the Prince Foundation, oh, Prince, by the way, is her maiden name, um, Prince, uh, her name was Betsy Prince, and she set up a Prince Foundation because her her, her birth family are also quite wealthy, and so that is also an advo- an organisation that advocates. Um, so there's two rich families that got married to each other. Well, there's money to be made in these charter schools, of course. They're publicly funded, but there's still money to mm. be made. You can cream off the excess money. Well, indeed, the Prince Foundation, as well as other foundations, carefully orchestrated campaigns to label Detroit's public schools as failing and push for charters and universal education choice as the better alternative to failing public schools. Betsy DeVos has since written about the need to retire and replace Detroit's public school system and press for expanding the charter schools and vouchers to do so. In 2000, she and her husband helped underwrite a ballot initiative to introduce vouchers in Michigan. Though the couple poured millions of dollars into the effort, 69% of voters rejected it. So the the Overton window hadn't quite moved that far. The following year, Betsy DeVos focused on a new strategy. 
Instead of appealing directly to voters, she created a political action community called the Great Lakes Education Project to channel funding towards non-profits and legislators pushing school reform policies. By 2002, the Great Lakes Education Project had more money than Michigan's biggest teachers' union. Massive amounts. More money than the United Auto Workers' Union or any Democratic-affiliated PAC in that state. Michigan now serves one of the most prominent examples of aggressive DeVos-style school choice policies look like on the ground, especially when it comes to expanding charters. Now, about 18%, sorry, about 80%, that's 8-0, of the state's charter schools are run by for-profit companies, a much higher share than anywhere else in the country, with little oversight from the state. In 2011, DeVos fought against legislation to stop low-performing charter schools from expanding, and later she and her husband funded legislators who opposed proposal to add any new oversight. Now, next week we perhaps might get stuck into what's going on, but the charter school system in and around the Great Lakes and Detroit has been considered to be not successful. Not successful. It doesn't improve educational outcomes. In fact, in many cases, costs more for doing worse. Well, now see. this woman now this woman is the education secretary of the United States of America. So what happened there is likely then to happen in um, around the rest of the country. Well I'm glad that Gina Reinhardt is in beef because she's got one point nine million hectares up there in Western Australia, New South Wales and Northern Territory and she hasn't got a, a sights on uh, education. Yet, perhaps there isn't quite enough money in it, but DeVos is certainly... Uh, well, she's driven She's driven by a religious uh, belief, isn't she, which I don't think Gina Reinhardt uh, has necessarily got. But um, it does actually, in the end, get back very fundamentally to the relationship between the state and people's conscience or their beliefs. And uh, the Americans United for... Separation of Church and State have got some interesting material this week too. Um, they are very concerned that President Donald Trump is exploiting the National Day of Prayer to trample religious freedom uh, in America. Uh, they're very concerned that they are doing away with what is con- called the Johnson Amendment. Well, what is this Johnson Amendment? It protects the integrity of um, the houses of worship and elections for the last six decades. Um, And Trump is now, no doubt under the influence of Betty DeVos, allowing churches to endorse political candidates. Now, we've already had this, of course, in Australia for some time. The Catholic Church and others have uh, endorsed candidates or certainly have promoted them and have certainly tried to get people of their particular faith into positions of power. But um, in America, this hasn't been allowed. Uh, There is an open invitation, too, for political parties to use the churches in America as a tool to further erode the campaign financing system. So the Americans United for Separation of Church and State are very much against this. Now, Trump has inaccurately claimed that his attack on the Johnson Amendment, which prevents churches from endorsing political candidates, is needed to protect the free speech rights of houses of worship and clergy. Uh, And under current law, however, churches and their leaders have robust free speech rights. They can weigh in on political issues, legislation and vote of referendums. They just can't endorse or oppose candidates officially. And in their individual capacity, faith leaders also can endorse candidates and even run for office. So um, it does get back, whether we like it or not, to the relationship between people's consciences and their beliefs and their freedom to have that and their freedom to not have to be brought into the courts for blasphemy cases, as we see up in um, Jakarta, and um, whether or not we can have an education system which is free, secular and universal for every child. The only way forward for a democracy is to have a well-resourced, well 
reputed public education system available for every child. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Uh, we'll be back in again next week talking about the issues surrounding education and separation of religion from the state here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, but until then, until then, until next week, it's bye for now. But one thing I have to say, sorry, one thing I have to say before we go, of course, is our website, just to repeat, you can catch us on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. So seriously, until then, bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but I'm dead You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.